Hi everyone and welcome back to the Drinks with Allie podcast, where we're talking everything from red red wine to pina coladas. My name is Allie and this is episode 39 of the podcast. Today is Monday, March 22nd, making this a mixed drink Monday show. For today's show, we're going to talk all about an essential part of so many cocktails that without it, we wouldn't have the Martini, the Negroni, the Manhattan, the Rob Roy, the Vercchiare, or even the Martinez. Now, what could this magical ingredient be, you ask? Well, it's not ice. Since, of course, all of these cocktails have varying spirits, why vermouth, of course? Today, let's look at all things vermouth, both dry and sweet, its history, usage, and what makes it so great. And because yesterday was the very first International Vermouth Day. So March 21st will now be the day that we celebrate all things vermouth in our lives. And since we missed getting to talk about it before Vermouth Day, we better talk about it afterwards. Oh, and happy spring, y'all. Saturday marked the first first official day of spring. And while there was snow on the ground here um, most of the weekend... It did warm up to 15 degrees Celsius here, so there's that. It's definitely getting to start, starting to look a lot like spring. So let's jump on in, guys. Alright, for starters, what even is vermouth, you ask? Remembering that we have all sheepishly wondered this, and have probably even used vermouth without knowing what the heck it actually is, I think it's probably way more common than people want to admit to, that they have no idea what vermouth is and that they've used it without knowing it. So vermouth is a fortified and aromatized wine. So fortified meaning it has extra alcohol added to it, and aromatized meaning it has herbs and botanicals added to it to give it different aromas. There are five grapes that typically make up the base wine, So we make wine and then we um, add neutral liquor to it. So those grapes are Trebbiano, Catarado, Picpoul, Claret Blanche, and Bianchetta. I knew I was going to mess up on one of those. These make up uh, low alcohol wines um, that are aged slightly before having neutral spirits and botanicals added to them. Traditionally, neutral grape spirits are added, so essentially unaged brandy, but the spirits can also be vegetable-based, so something like a sugar beet. The botanicals are then added um, in generally via maceration, so by rusting the liquor with the botanicals in it. Basically, you fill a tank with the wine mixture, and then you dump all your botanicals in it and you stir it every once in a while to keep them underneath the liquor but that's about it or the infusion which is basically like making tea so the botanicals are put into giant strainers or cloth bags and they are left in the wine mixture to steep Um, so typical vermouth botanicals include but are definitely not limited to cloves, cinnamon, quinine, cardamom, chamomile, coriander, juniper, hyssop, ginger, various citrus peel varieties, 
and labdanum, which is a kind of resin, which kind of seems a little hinky, but what do we know? But of course, every proprietor has their own blend, all of which are completely proprietary. Sorry, every producer has their own blend. And they are traditionally deeply held secrets. So we often don't know what they are. Um, Some of the producers will on their website list some of the botanicals, um, but they definitely won't tell you how much is in them. And that's definitely by no means a comprehensive list of them. So most vermouths range in alcohol from 16 to 18% which is why we keep open vermouth in the fridge and not in the liquor cabinet. Since at such a low ABV, the vermouth doesn't have enough alcohol to prevent, um, to preserve it, rather, against oxidation and against bacterial infections. So they can go off if they're left outside to oxidize. And while we typically think of vermouth being dry or sweet, or a Bianco of Rosso, there are also rosé and golden vermouths. Fun fact, sweet, um, which are often associated with red vermouths, get their color from the botanicals that are added. They can have red wine added to them, and sometimes they do have like a caramel coloring added to them. Or when they add the sugar to the mixture, they can burn the sugar. So they like caramelize the sugar, giving it a stronger color. Now, when we talk sweet, um, a bottle of sweet vermouth contains about 10 to 15% sugar, whereas a dry vermouth can only have up to about 4% sugar. Now, for some history of the vermouth. Wines fortified with herbs can be traced as early as 1250 BC in China as a with medicinal records. And while we can't imply that this is the root of European vermouth, it certainly allows us to see how old a concept those wines are. Infusing white wines uh, in Europe dates to about 400 BC in Greece, Uh, and at the time, wormwood was used as a popular ingredient as it was believed to be effective in treating stomach disorders and intestinal parasites. This is important because when we fast forward to the 16th century in Germany, we find wormwood wine being drunk extensively, and the French pronunciation of vermut, aka wormwood, is vermouth, or vermouth. Around now, so around the same period as we see um, kind of recorded history of it largely in Germany being used, an Italian merchant by the name of Delisio, no other name, just Delisio, began to produce a similar quote-unquote wormwood wine um, in the Piedmont region in Italy. So this is in the northwest of Italy, and it borders both Switzerland and France. This obviously breeds all kinds of competition, and a whole bunch of brands start to pop up in eastern and southeastern France. Fun fact number two. This whole area where the Piedmont and this kind of southeastern France is used to be the kingdom of Sardinia. So they were actually all one area at one point, and now they're not. By the mid-17th century, 
Vermouth is being drunk as far away as England, solidifying its place in the spirits world forever. Uh, because remembering at that time, Europe is, or England is starting to become a superpower, much larger than countries ten times its size. And by the late 1700s, or 1786 to be exact, one Antonio Benito Carpano, my Italian's really bad, introduces the first real sweet vermouth, essentially splitting the category into dry and sweet forever and a day. About 20 years later, Joseph Noli, a Frenchman, introduces his dry vermouth to the world, um, which also happened to be pale. I believe prior to that, they were there was no like dry as white and sweet as red until these two guys came along. Now, of course, just remember, guys, not all reds are sweet, just as not all lights are dry. Um, so we often associate the two together, but it's not always necessarily the way they are. So Carpano's legacy lasts to this day with such vermouths as Campano Bianco and Campano Antica, and as well as the very well-known Puta e Mess. Um, and his family in 2003, I believe, um, sold out to the Branca distilleries, so the people that make Fernet Branca. Um, so they, all, they own all of that company now as well. Noli's legacy does as well um, with the brand Noli Pratt, which is still owned. Now it's now owned by the Pratt half of the family, um, who received the distilling company through marriage. Um, the last Noli daughter married the first of the Pratt sons, or that involved in the distillery, and now it's called Noli Pratt. Around about the time that both brands are beginning to see growth, so early 18th century, the popularity of vermouth as a medicinal aid wanes. But its use as an aperitif, or an alcoholic beverage, served before a meal to get the digestive juices flowing, increased steadily in both France and Italy. And then, with the invention of the cocktail, in the later half of the 19th century, vermouth really found its calling. So there was even a vermouth cocktail invented in 1868 that was basically chilled vermouth, a lemon peel, and maybe either some bitters or maraschino liqueur. Kind of sounds unbalanced, kind of sounds a little gross. Very glad it went by the wayside. So in the 1880s and 1890s, they were. this was really the heyday of the vermouth. Vermouth. Um, when recipes at the time often called for double the vermouth to the gin or whiskey. This is likely due to poor quality of the spirits, whereas both winemaking and brandy making had been perfected long before this period. So it stands to reason that we were just covering up the poor quality of the spirits. Um, so then in the 1950s, the pop with the popularity of the martini, um, this kind of helped keep vermouth from landing in complete obscurity. And of course, everybody's favorite spy agent 007, Mr. James Bond, and his propensity to martinis has also kept vermouth in the spotlight. 
though it should be noted in the books, he orders vodka martinis. And in the movies, he usually just orders a martini, um, but does have a hard propensity for Gordon's gin. Or more specifically, the only time he ever calls for a specific drink is in the first few movies, and he calls for a Vesper martini. Now, of course, in the movies, when he asks for a drink, it is just a martini, shake and not stirred, which we can get into reasons why we'd shake and not stir a martini on another day, because traditionally we stir our martinis. But back to the vermouth. And then, of course, um, in the Americas and Britain at the time, there's really a decline in the use of using vermouth for anything but cocktails, but even that seems to wane quite a bit um, as we go for more spirit-forward cocktails and kind of a propensity then in the 80s and early 90s to go for very sugared, sweet drinks with very little secondary mix to them. But luckily, both the French and Italians continued and continue to drink them as aperitifs, um, and they are really good at it. Vermouth is great for opening up the stomach when you want to get ready to drink things. In the 2010s, um, aka in the throes of the cocktail renaissance, there was renewed interest and a few quote-unquote new world distilleries, um, so people in both the Americas, North and South, and also in places like Australia and New Zealand, started to experiment with their own versions of vermouth for cocktailing. And wormwood has become an essential and kind of pivotal keystone for their botanical blends. Almost everybody is doing something with wormwood. Um, and no, wormwood's not hallucinogenic. I do believe we've talked about that before with absinthe. Um, there is a singular compound within wormwood that has that property, and you can totally use it without having that happen. So some brands that we would know, um, on top of Carpano and Noli Pratt, there's also Martini Rossi, um, who is the top-selling international brand and who started in 1863, so very old brands. There's Dolan from Chambéry, France, who have created two complete styles by themselves. There is the Blanc or Blanco style, which is a sweet but dry, pale or almost clear white um, style of vermouth. And then there's Chambourazette, which is its own style in and of itself, and it is has to be made near Chambéry, which is vermouth blanc and strawberry liqueur blended together. And then, of course, there is Cinzano, um, which I know that we definitely can get Cinzano very easily in all of our liquor stores here. So definitely a brand that you would recognize. Um, and shockingly, here in Nova Scotia, you can get all of these brands. You might have to work a little bit to find them. Um, I know that Noli Pratt and Dolan, you can get them at one liquor store um, that happens to be a private liquor store. The rest of them, Martini and Cinzano, uh, you can definitely get just kind of generalist at a regular liquor stores. And Carpano, you can get at 
the private liquor stores as well. So it's definitely, definitely possible to reach out and go for a vermouth that has a flavor that's not just dry or sweet. Um, Noli Pratt, for example, makes two different dries, um, so they do have different flavor profiles. So don't be afraid to try something new. With that, guys, we'll wrap up another episode. I hope that this dive into vermouth has piqued your interest and that you might pick up an extra bottle to try and experiment with. Just remember, keep that bottle in the fridge. So if you guys would like to get a hold of me, whether you have a question, comment, or a show topic idea, I'd love to hear from you. You can do that in a few ways. You can head over to the website, drinkswithally.com, and you can leave a comment on Podcast 39's page, or you can hit the Contact Me button and leave me a filled-in contact form. It will come directly to me, and I will definitely reply. If you would prefer email directly, you can email me at drinkswithally at gmail.com. Or if you want to send me a message on social media or link up and follow me, it's at drinkswithally. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, MeWe, TikTok, uh, Pinterest, and Spotify. TikTok is apparently where it's at right now, guys. So don't be afraid to jump into that platform. I know it's a little bit of a weird one, but it's a lot of fun. So with that, guys, fill your glass with something tasty on this Monday. Cheers, everyone.